Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. Welcome back to uh, the podcast. We are picking up today in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. And we are talking so much in this book about what God has done through Jesus Christ. Uh, The Gospels give us the the raw story. And it's not really until the letters of Paul and other apostles that we get the unpacking of the story. What actually happened at the cross? Right. The peak behind the curtain, I think, is one mm-hmm. way I heard you put it in an earlier podcast, and that's yep. exactly right. And it's been humbling, uh, to, to say the least, as we go through the different links God was willing to go through to see us reconciled to Him. Um, last week, we got to talk about chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where it emphasizes just how dead we were, but how much love God had for us that He was willing to give His only Son so that we could have hope. Um, And it was through Jesus' resurrection that we too are going to be resurrected and have been resurrected and forgiven of sin. Mm -hmm. And it emphasized that we don't get to brag about any of that. It's not our work that saves us, but we are saved by grace through faith. It's not anything we did ourselves, but it's a free gift of God. And so that's what we put our emphasis on last week. And this week we're going to turn our attention to some of the Gentile readers that would be in this church in Ephesus, and Paul is going to describe to them um, just how far off they really were as well, but in the same way God reconciled them as well. Yeah, and one helpful way I've heard this chapter put together is uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he's talked about the new life that we have individually in Christ, and starting in verses 11 through the end of the chapter, he's going to talk about the new life we have collectively, the new life we have together in Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike. And unity is one of the great themes of the New Testament, specifically of the letters. And Paul is constantly writing to bring people of different backgrounds, different nations together um, in Christ. So let's read Ephesians 2, uh, verses 11 through 22. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near, By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, so Paul's pretty clear in verse 11 who he's going to address and who he's talking about now. He says it's the Gentiles in the flesh. And he, out of the gate, recognizes the obvious thing that divides the Jews and the Gentiles, and it's the issue of circumcision. So he calls them the Gentiles, but he says, but you were also called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, because circumcision was a Jewish practice. It goes back as early as Genesis chapter 17, when God calls Abraham out of his home country and establishes his covenant with him. And part of that deal was Abraham had to circumcise everyone in his household, whether it was his blood relatives or just his servants, everyone in his household had to be circumcised. And that was something that was carried out throughout the rest of the Old Testament for the Hebrew nation. And so this is what set God's people apart from the rest of the world was in this covenant of circumcision. And, and there were some strict practices that God gave his people in the Old Testament about being separate from the nations. And there, I think that was intended to, to keep God's people insulated from the idolatry and the sin that was going on. But unfortunately, by the time we get to the New Testament, it had often become a... Uh, an attitude of superiority. Mm -hmm. It had become a, an attitude of exclusion, not just to keep away from the sin, but um, kind of a, a holier than thou kind of thing. Like, and so he's like, you Gentiles, you know, you've been called names before. You've been put on the outside by Jews before, but Christ has come to make you one again. And I just appreciate how he talks about the Gentiles as a group and what they used to be. This is really mm -hmm. similar to what he did in verses 1 through 10. Exactly. Where he said, hey, you were dead. Look at what happened to you individually. And look at his description of the Gentiles in verse 12. You were at that time separated from Christ. I mean, that's the idea of spiritual death. Mm -hmm. um, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, which is kind of interesting. Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. <laughs> or I know, the Commonwealth right? of Kentucky. About, but the yeah. idea there is commonwealth. I mean, you're all sharing in something valuable that you hold together. Yeah. Israel had these promises from God. They had this covenant with God. And the Gentiles were not part of that. By definition, there was the Jews and everyone else is a Gentile. So you were alienated. You were outside uh, of the commonwealth of Israel. And you were strangers to the covenants of promise. What's he referring to there? Oh, I mean, without a doubt, he's referring to the Old Testament covenants and promises that only Jews could have or people who were in the nation of Israel. And this was a two-sided thing. I mean, God promised them many things, but there, there was also an end of the deal that they had to hold up to. The law. Circumcision was part of it. Um, observing the Passover, the feast days, all these other things as well. But it was just their, their covenant with the Lord. And um, I just really appreciate you highlighting those, Stephen, because just when you throw all those words together about the Gentiles, separate, alienated, strangers, it's just how far off they are from God is what Paul is trying to describe here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those covenants of promise were a big deal. Uh, God made a covenant with Abraham, but even from the beginning, he said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations mm -hmm. and your descendants all the families of the earth will be blessed. So from the beginning, he wanted the Gentiles to be part of Absolutely. the story of redemption, of him bringing Jesus 
into the world. He's going to use the Jews to bring Jesus, but he's through Jesus, he's going to rescue all the nations. And he ends verse 12 by saying, having no hope and without God in the world. Yeah, I have without God underlined, just to think about how miserable our life would be without God. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's where they were. Without God, there is no hope. There, There is nothing that you can put your trust in that will be as everlasting as him. And that's the situation that they found themselves in before God intervened. Mm-hmm. And so that is really what leads into verse 13, which is very similar to what we talked about earlier in the chapter. He points out just how rough we are by in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, um, by living in our own way, but God being rich in mercy. Well, verse 13 is a similar thing. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In verse 12, we talked about just how alienated, strangers, separate they were, but now they're being brought close. They're being brought near because of the blood of Jesus. They now, too, have access to that blood to be reconciled to God. Yes. And this idea of near and far, uh, is he's already brought that out by saying you were alienated, you were strangers, you know, you were separated. And it's going to come up again a couple more times in this. And I think it's really cool to think about. There's some Old Testament background to this. We're not going to like go to all this, but if you get some of your own time to do a deep dive, um, there's some background to that in Isaiah 57, verse 19, and kind of the context of that, where he talks about um, calling those who are near and far and preaching peace to them, that there's no peace for the wicked. And so there's some really cool Old Testament background, not only to this section of Ephesians, but throughout the letter. He's just going to be making these Old Testament allusions and showing how this has always been in the plan of God. This wasn't like, oh yeah, Gentiles, I forgot to invite you to the party, and like, oh, now, now I sent you the invitation. Yeah. No, like, this has always been in the plan. Mm-hmm. It was in God's timing. But I love that idea of people who are separated. Some are near and some are far. Now we have been brought near. All of us have been brought near to God through the blood of Christ, verse 13. And notice also the theme of peace in this section. Verse 14, he himself is our peace. And then in verse 17, he preached peace to you who are far off, peace to you who are near. There's the near and far again. And so, so much of what Paul is talking about here is what God does in Christ is not only does he forgive our sins and make peace with God. That's the most important kind of peace we can have is peace between us and him. Mm-hmm. But he also makes peace between people groups. Yeah, He's going to focus on Jews and Gentiles here. But this is true for really any kind of people groups, uh, nations, ethnic, ethnic groups, uh, socioeconomic groups. Um, in Jesus, he wants to make one body, yeah. one man in Christ. The way I've heard this described before is if you can kind of picture in your mind a triangle, it's a normal triangle, at the very top of that triangle would be God, and then at the bottom left of that triangle would be me. There's a relationship that I have with God. On the right side of that triangle, Stephen has a relationship, and so he draws a line to him and God. 
Well, by necessity, now him and I have a relationship horizontally with one another because we now both have a relationship with God. It didn't matter what my background was. It didn't matter what his was. But now we have that unity in God because of what Jesus Christ did. And that's life-changing. And really, it's a blessing. I do not have to do this alone. In chapter 2, 1 through 10, we recognize this is a hard walk that God is calling us to. It's a tough road. Jesus was up front about that. We went over that in season 1 as we went through the Gospel of Mark. But we're not called to do it by ourselves. We are called together to work together in this new kingdom. And that's a real blessing. And Paul is really having to work with these two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, to help them realize that they can't just tolerate one another. They have to love one another and work together. They have to realize that the wall that was between them has now come down and they are united because of the blood of Jesus. Yeah, and that imagery of a wall is just so powerful because, I mean, what is the purpose of a wall? It's to divide. It's to set things apart. And the picture of Jesus like tearing down a wall, coming in and just knocking it down brick by brick is so cool to think about. And what's interesting here is he describes that in verse 14 that he broke it down in his flesh. So it's like when Jesus died, there was this wall that came down. And now it wasn't until a good bit later that they realized, hey, this wall has been torn down. Uh, And it's funny how many walls we keep trying to rebuild (laughs) that Christ has torn down. But in verse 15, it describes what it was, what this particular wall was. And it was the law that ESV reads, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So the law by nature, if you weren't circumcised and if you weren't living in the commonwealth of Israel, you were excluded. It's the law it th- of Moses. Threw that wall up and there was no way for you to come in. Right. Yeah, and they could become a convert, but it right. was only by going to the other side of the wall. Right, exactly. Yeah. And now he's saying, you just tore the wall down. When Christ died, he fulfilled the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. And opened up citizenship in his kingdom to not just people who are physical citizens of Israel, but now everyone can be a citizen of the kingdom. And of course, this is a big theme in the book of Acts that we talked about. It comes to a head in Acts 15, mm-hmm. where they're like, no, like Gentiles have to become Jews or they can't be saved. And they're like, no, <laughs> the Gentiles are called by God's name. They are fully in even if they're not Jews, if they accept Christ, if they follow him or baptized into him, you are both now one nation. Even though you're still from different backgrounds or ethnically different, you are one in Christ. And so I think it's helpful to see that in verse 15, that it's the abolishing, the, the fulfilling of the law, that he is able now to create in himself one new man in place of the two. Which is cool, by the way. I was just thinking about this. We talked about this back in verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's the individual side of things you were talking about. God has created us individually. But now he's pointing out that through Jesus, we are created as one new person together. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really cool. I hadn't noticed that before. And you'll notice all the ones as we go through here. So far we have, he's made both groups into one in verse 14. And now... He's making the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would save this for later, but since I'm thinking about it, I'll mention it now. As we look out in the world, there's not a whole lot of peace, is there? No, indeed. Yeah, I mean, there's just constant turmoil and strife and arguing, and it's a pretty scary thing to look at. 
And I think it can be really tempting to look at the world and say, there are other things other than God that can bring mankind together. There, there, there is peace that can be made outside of God. And this passage is teaching, that's just not true. That, that is foolish. The only thing that is going to be able to reconcile man together fully in a complete way is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is where true peace with mankind is going to be filled. And so that's an encouragement to me to not get involved too politically with things, but to get involved religiously and, and more so evangelistically with people because I can be connected with someone through Jesus Christ, not a political party. Um, and so that's just one thing that stands out to me as far as practical application goes. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, there's a lot of divisiveness that we've seen um, all the time, but especially recently. And the goal of the gospel is unity. Now, there are standards for that unity. It's not just a uh, surface-level unity. Oh, let's all just or get compromise. Along. Yeah. yeah, but it is a we're all coming to Jesus as our king. There's a real sense in which the kingdom of God is a political entity, mm-hmm. not that it's you know right or left, red or blue, but that it is a spiritual kingdom. And politics, it just comes from the word for people. Right. And so this is one new people group. I love the way he describes this. Um, he'll say it this way and down in verse 19, mm-hmm. that uh, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Mm-hmm. Another way of saying one, by the way. Yeah. But you now have a new nation. You guys are members of the same group, yeah. the same people group, and you're now members of the household of God. You're God's family. And this doesn't always translate through in English because y'all apparently isn't a right way to say things, I've been told. But in Greek, <laughs> I use it. In Greek, this word in verse 19 for you is actually plural. And so it's y'all are fellow citizens, That's which right. goes without saying. But I just like to point that out because they are now united. They're part of God's household. And it's just super cool to think about too. They're not all just in the same kingdom. They're all in the same house and it's God's house. You are so connected in this kingdom to the king himself. That's right. You're members of the same family, even though some of you are from the physical family of Abraham and some of you aren't. Some of you from the physical nation of Israel and some of you aren't. You are now all part of Christ's nation and you are all part of Christ's family. And that's so important because where we get our sense of identity where we get our sense of belonging affects so many things in our life. And the Gentiles and Jews drew their sense of identity from very different sources. And what God is saying is like, no, like Gentiles, you are now every bit as much a part of what God is doing in the world as Abraham was, as David was, and now as the Jews are. The Jews can be part if they will accept Christ, and the Gentiles can be part. It's no longer about the ethnic divide. It is about being a new creation, a new nation, a new family in yeah. Jesus. I love how he says this in verse 18, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. We're all hopping on the same elevator. Uh, you know, there's no <laughs> dividing. We're all, it's all through one spirit that we have access to God. That's super cool. That unites us. Yeah, and it's really cool as you go through this. There's going to be seven ones that are discussed in chapter four. Yeah. One spirit, one body, um, and how many of those ones are already coming up yeah, in exactly. the text is really cool. Yeah. But I love the the way that he talks about what God is doing. Um, in verse 15, he says he's creating one new man. Verse 16, he says... We are reconciled to God in one body. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of different analogies that are used to talk about God's people. Like we are a building, 
we are a field. Um, but one of the most close-knit analogies yeah. that he can use is the example of a human body. Yeah, body's personal to us. Yeah. yeah. When, when my hand hurts, everything re- goes to help. You know, it's yeah. like, it's the same body. You're like literally part of the same object. <laughs> and that's what he's saying is like, you, you Jews and Gentiles have been so far apart. You've been like two separate bodies. And now he's like fusing this together to make one new body mm-hmm. in Christ that cares for itself, that cares for one another. It, it, it it's powerful to think about like that person over there. Like I'm part of the same body mm-hmm. with them. Like they may be a different part of the body than I am. They might have a different set of skills. They might have a different uh, strength than I do, but we're part of the same body in Christ. And so this idea of Jews and Gentiles being together in one body, working together for Christ is powerful to yeah. think about that. And so remember that because Paul's going to pick that analogy up later in chapter five, and he's going to tell us who the head of the body is and make some cool comparisons in our personal lives as well. Yeah. So now this kind of leads us, we've already kind of started it, but into the discussion of verses 19 through 22. Uh, I'll just read that again. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So we already talked about verse 19 that, again, you're no longer strangers and aliens. Those were terms that he used uh, back in verse 12. But now you are fellow citizens, again, part of a new nation, and members of the household of God, a new family. But the third analogy he uses, and again, there's a bunch of different ones. You're one body, fellow mm-hmm. citizens, members of the same family. And now he says you're part of the same building. Yeah. And he's going to get a little more detailed. Yeah. Who in built like it? The different parts of <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. God is building you up. And what's kind of interesting is like the foundation. So like the foundation is the most important, in some ways, part of the building. Because without the foundation, the whole thing falls down. Yeah, absolutely. I actually got to, one of my first jobs ever was pouring basement footers and foundations. And so I always feel very personal to this application <laughs> because it, it was an important thing. Um, you had to get it right. I mean, inspectors came from the city to make sure we were pouring the foundation of this house right. Because if not, the whole thing is going to collapse. And the cool thing in Jesus is... It's the best foundation that's ever existed. Um, not only do you have the apostles and prophets. Well, and what's interesting on that is like, well, I get that Jesus is the foundation, but why the apostles and prophets? Like, yeah, sure. I think it adds to Jesus is the cornerstone. He he kind of started all of it, but the apostles and prophets were the ones that he sent out to finish forming it, if you will. Right. And that really leads well into how we were going through season two in the book of Acts. You see Peter and all the other apostles and even prophets themselves come through and really establish the young church and build it up the way that it needs to be. But it was all starting with Jesus Christ being that cornerstone. That's right. And and one of the important things that Jesus said in John, I believe it's John 16, where he says, I have many things to tell you now, but you're not ready for them. Um, Jesus himself did not say all the words that we needed. Now, he gave us so much of it, but in just three, three and a half years that he was here, he said himself, I've got, there's more than I have to say to you, but I'm going to send the Spirit, and he's going to guide you into all the truth. And that happened through the apostles and prophets. 
God's Spirit working through them to give us Scripture. Now, we, we're going to talk more about the Apostles and Prophets in chapter 4, but it's really, really important, and actually a lot of religious division comes from, well, who are the Apostles and Prophets? Because mm-hmm. they're part of the foundation, he says here. And Jesus is the cornerstone, but the Apostles and Prophets and what they wrote by the Spirit is very much part of the foundation. If we're going to have unity, if we're going to have different people groups coming together in one building, we have to be able to come together and build on the foundation. And ultimately for us, practically speaking, that is Scripture. What we have in the New Testament is the writings of the life of Jesus Mm -hmm. and then the apostles and prophets. What Paul is writing, what John and Peter and these other guys are putting together by the Spirit is what we're building on. Without scripture, we don't have a basis for unity and a foundation to build on. And so in a very practical way, the apostles and prophets and what they wrote is what we're building on. We've got to come to scripture, which is why we do in this podcast. We just want to keep coming back to the Bible, keep Mm -hmm. coming back to scripture. Because if we can't build on that, we're going to be on shaky ground. Just to kind of further make that point that the apostles are the ones doing the building. In Acts 1, this is something we talked about. The very first verse of Acts 1 is, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we talked about that tense of began. He he was beginning something, but there was more to come. And so in verse 2, Until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen... To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. There it is. Jesus is informing them, you all have more work to do. You have to keep building. And so that really places the book of Acts well for us. So if you've not listened to season two, we'd encourage you on your own time to go back and take a look at that because the apostles had a huge hand in in this happening. And that's why their writings are so powerful to us today. That's right. But Christ Jesus is obviously the cornerstone. Yeah. And uh, this isn't the only place this is actually mentioned. It's also mentioned in 1 Peter 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, uh, 1 Corinthians 3. There's mm-hmm. the two analogies of being God's field and then God's building. Yeah, and, and no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And so we learn in verse 21. Oh, Mark what, 12, too. Yeah. Yeah. In verse 21, we learn what kind of building this is. It's not like an office building or a, um, something else. It, it is a temple. Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful idea because the temple was a big deal in the Old Testament. And when God first gave the tabernacle, it's kind of like a mobile temple. But then Solomon builds a more permanent structure, and then it's destroyed, and then it's rebuilt. And then Jesus talks about that one's going to be destroyed. But in the process, it's like, God is building a new temple. What is it? Where is it? You know, what about today? Is there a temple? There's not a physical temple for Christians today. We are the temple. We are being built up together into a holy temple. And again, the temple would have been one of the things that was kind of a dividing line between Jews and Gentiles. There was actually like a little mini wall in the courtyard of the temple saying like, if a Gentile goes past this wall like it's at the cost of their own life and paul is arrested in the book of acts because he they thought he brought a gentile into the temple Mm -hmm. like that was a can't do that you're going to defile the temple and now what he's saying to you is that you gentiles not only do you have access to the new spiritual temple you are the new spiritual temple like you're part of the stones you're part of the walls you are a dwelling place for god by the spirit and i just love that idea of being fitted together 
um, because you think about any building project and uh, or, or even just doing a puzzle and you are looking for the right piece and you find it's all oh, that that fits perfect right here and it's placed right next to another one. That's really what the Lord is doing with his church. We are all different pieces of a large puzzle and he is placing us as he wishes so that we can all fit together perfectly to be his temple. I love that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Lord is the one doing all the work there. That's right. And I love in verse 22, again, it's a temple, but what is a temple? It is where God himself dwells. It is a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the Spirit, that's right. And we want God to move in. We want God to live in in his temple. It was a big deal in the Old Testament. Whenever Mm -hmm. they got those things set up, the tabernacle, then the temple, when God's Spirit, when it was move-in day, it was quite the scene. I'll put it that way. You can go back and read a few different instances of that. And uh, I mean, it was a big day. And so that's what the Lord wants now. He wants to dwell in us as well. But there's a lot, lot of implications that go along with that. God's spirit isn't going to dwell where there is idol worship, where there is nastiness. And so we got to cast all that out. We got to be willing to be a holy temple for God. That's right. And again, this, this image is one of unity. We're being built together. We're being joined together. Mm-hmm. Jews, Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor, we are all built together into this temple. And so all these analogies that Paul's using are illustrating this new life we have together. If we are grateful that God has forgiven us of our sins in Jesus, we will seek out God's people and try to find people who are committed to building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which, to be honest, you know, not every church you walk into is committed to building on that foundation. There's lots of people who have extensions that go on their own traditions or other things. But if we want to build on Jesus as the cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles and prophets, we will we will find those people and join ourselves to them and work together in the Lord. And the church is supposed to be a place where people from every nation, of every color, of every yeah. background can lay down their sin and be joined into one body, one building, one nation, one family in Christ yeah. Jesus. And that's that's a tall order. Yes. And it's a, it's a self-check. That's what this section is also for. Am I harboring any time of any type of resentment or prejudice to somebody based off of the color of their skin, based off of their economical background or social background or whatever have you? If I'm harboring some type of resentment toward that person, you need to remember Christ died so that we would be united and peace would be brought. So we got to do away with that thinking. We've got to set that aside and learn how to be united despite skin color, background, whatever, fill in the blank. We've got to be united in Jesus. That's right. Uh, Christ didn't just die to unify us with God, but yeah. with each other. Amen. So we've at, Paul's actually done a pretty good job at talking about the Gentiles already. But in chapter 3, he's going to go into more detail about that, about his work with Gentiles. And as we read through the book of Acts, that's one thing we notice is that Paul had a huge emphasis on going to the Gentiles. And he's going to talk about his stewardship in that, Lord willing, in the next chapter with a brief interrupted prayer uh, that he'll, he'll get into. So we'll, we'll dig into that next week, Lord willing. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying what you hear on the pod, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. Um, if you'd like to study this further, we know that we're just touching on some themes that can go a lot deeper into, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com, or check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.